Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Mo Momtazi and his daughter Hannah. Uh, it's uh, December 5th, 2017. We're at Maysera Winery. And we're going to start you guys off with a nice easy question, which is why wine? In, in my case, it's not really a, an aha moment of getting in the wine industry. Uh, my father made wine and he actually did not manipulate the wine and uh, he gave it as a gift and, you know, during our New Year and to friends and family. Uh, he thought that you know, selling wine would be a sin. So just like uh, um, my mother then uh, you know, just really was kind of like thinking that uh, why you know, just to spend so much money and just give it away. But uh, you know, I was brought up with the wine. I was around wine. And then uh, uh, during teenage years, I, I didn't drink much of a wine. But uh, as a student, that when I came to the United States as a foreign student to study engineering, I had to work as a waiter. Uh, at restaurants, and uh, that's when I got more exposed to wine. But uh, uh, besides that, being exposed to the wine and being able to, of course, this is in the 70s, and there wasn't uh, a lot of you know wine available here in the United States like nowadays. Uh, so that that was another thing that I, I got more exposed to it. But then when I after graduating, I went back to Iran. I had some wine that just blew me away. It, it, it was just like a, after drinking a couple of glasses, it really, I felt like a superman. So, <laughs> you know, that, that was another thing. And then uh, I also went to a wine region in Iran and uh, seeing how the farmers lived uh, in that region, that they were Assyrians, Christians, and they made wine and they had such a great fun doing it. And, uh, you know, another factor for me was just like the, in Persian poetry. In Persian poetry, it talks so much about the wine, but it's not like on the Western world, we mainly talk about the flavor and the aroma, what fruit does it taste like. But in our culture, as I was growing up, uh, in, in Persian uh, poetry, the wine is considered as a very spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. And so th those were the reasons that I, I got into the wine. And then also uh, the environmental issues are very close to my heart. And uh, at the time, you know, so, some of us that we consider, including myself, we consider ourselves as environmentalists. Uh, we do nothing except complaining and sometimes suing, you know, the, the polluters. So it, it was really important to me that uh, we 
farm holistically and because we've done a lot of damage to our environment, uh, to the air, soil, water, and uh, even our own body. We've really put a lot of poison in our mm -hmm. system. And for me, it was just like before really understanding, I wanted to prove to myself that uh, there are better ways of farming. At the time, a lot of either chemical companies or agriculture companies, they were just like saying, this is the way it is. We have to uh, understand that in time and age, with so many population, there's no other alternative uh, than the way we've done. So I just wanted to prove to myself there's other ways of creating and growing things and what what better thing than wine because wine is so pure and uh, even though you know I, I just like my experience as far as, far as farming and winemaking was just uh, very very limited but uh, I had no doubt that if I do the right thing it would just really become something that people want to uh, consume and enjoy so that's why I got into wine business mm -hmm. it's just like uh, nowadays a lot of uh, problems that we have as a society is due to the fact that we haven't really taken care of our environment and it's causing a lot of problem for us so it's just like that was a really important thing you know in the 70s when I first came to the United States uh, all people cared about is just like how inexpensive you could buy the food. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I realized there's not that much of a flavor and essence into the food that we consume. Of course, I'm really glad to see at least the younger generation right now. Uh, they're re really concerned about what's happening and they want to consume the good thing. So I thought it's a good time to produce something that uh, not only they would enjoy it, but it would, you know, health-wise it would be a good thing for people to consume. And when he speaks about like spiritual, I think one thing that we need to make clear is that there's plant spirits and animals and humans and it's a full ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's something where um, it's a full circle. So when you take care of your animals to your plants, you know, all of that in turn comes to yourself. Um, so it's, it's, it's bigger than what we think of when we think of spirits, mm -hmm. um, but the elements of it. So. So how did you, so you, you came here and studied engineering and then you went back to Iran. Right. How did you end up back in Oregon, how did you end up in Oregon here? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> we literally had to, uh, in 1982, we had to escape from Iran. And uh, at the time, my wife was eight months pregnant. And so we, it, it was a long journey. We, uh, uh, we escaped in uh, September, 15 of uh, uh, 1982 and we finally made it to the United States in uh, January of 1983 mm -hmm. and uh, so it, it was a big challenge uh, to to come to the States uh, we had to go and travel through several countries before we landed here and uh, I'm really happy that uh, this is what we 
you know, where we live and all that. And uh, this is also the now thinking back is a, a way of paying back to this country to, to, you know, kind of like create something that's going to be around for many, many years after I'm gone. Um, but what's really surprising to a lot of people, though, is that um, Oregon and the Northwest in general, it actually is very similar to the Caspian Sea. Um, no. So where my, my parents have both grown up, um, there's a lot of similarities between uh, there and over here. So. So how did you choose McMinnville? Well, you know, of course, after we escaped, we went to several other uh, other uh, states. We lived in Texas for a long time. Then we Georgia. went to Georgia, and uh, all during all this time, uh, as a uh, high school student many many years ago, I had uh, seen a film footage of. Uh, uh, the river having, uh, you know, like the salmon run, mm -hmm. just you could literally walk on it. There was just so much, uh, so many salmon in there. And uh, so I always wanted to come and see Oregon. So in 1990, we finally uh, moved to Oregon, but uh, I uh, formed and founded a company that. Uh, to design and manufacture trusses. And then, uh, so we were there in the city of Sandy doing that. And then uh, uh, McMinnville Industrial Park, actually, in 1990, we found out that there was just like a, a piece of property available here to the move our facility over here. They were kind of like looking for a clean industry uh, to bring to McMinnville, so we, we uh, actually in 1993 we uh, bought a piece of property in uh, uh, Industrial Park in McMinnville, and then you know that's when I realized that there's just like th this uh, state has got so much potential, and in 1997 is when we bought the property, and the, you know the, the the rest is history. So we've been working on this property over the last 20 years. It, the kind of a farming that we do is not a quick fix. It takes a long time. And uh, we've, we've been really trying to take care of the environment and to produce, you know, really good fruit. We not only sell fruit to other wineries, but we also make wine uh, for our own winery. And so when you moved to Oregon, did you have the notion that you would become part of the wine industry? Or was that just kind of a happy coincidence? It's, it's really a happy coincidence. We just like to like say it was his midlife crisis <laughs> <laughs> as a joke, but it was a great, great one. <laughs> no, it just, you know, realizing that uh, uh, this state has got so much potential. Of course, at the time, a lot of people within the industry, they thought, you know, I was crazy for planting so much. Not only that, but then uh, doing the farming that we wanted to do. And uh, it, 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 
it was kind of like uh, they didn't even think that uh, this property had any potential as far as you know the elevation because we were on really high elevation. Of course, in the even in the 90s, uh, this was considered to be too cool to grow uh, Pinot Noir. Some people were saying that if you're lucky, you could maybe ripen for sparkling wine, mm -hmm. but not for stale wine. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think a huge part, though, as well, is a huge part to our Persian culture involves wine. And being able to continue that, uh, we actually have a saying in Farsi that uh, water separates people, whereas uh, wine brings um, people right. together. And a huge part of you know my sisters and I getting into the wine industry, you know, not only do we grow up with our parents always giving us a little during dinner and teaching us the whole idea of what wine is for, mm -hmm. um, at the same time it taught us about our culture, our history, and. Um, how it had such a huge influence, not just in the people, but in our poetry and all these different things. And um, so it's very important to know that um, mm -hmm. for us of why we, we even got into the wine industry. He has his own reasons, but I think as a family, we have our our, our big picture reasons. So. Right. Of course, you know, we never uh, really force you guys to join the industry. Yeah, always I always encourage them to follow their own dream. But I think they were smart enough to uh, <laughs> get into the wine industry. And it's a sense of, you know, working within the family yeah. and, and each of them have a different role in, in our winery. And at any point of time that uh, one of us needs help during the harvest time, we all jump in and help my oldest daughter as far as the you know, like the harvest and all that. Uh, and then, you know, or when Hannah has a lot of uh, events in here, both mm -hmm. corporate events mm -hmm. and uh, weddings and things like that. So we all kind of like help. And my other daughter, uh, Nassim, who's the sales. in charge of sales, you know, if you need to travel and just help her out, we all pitch in and then my Wife has got the most important role, and that's taking care of the money. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we all work together, and we work really well together. Yeah, Yeah, and it's something where you, uh, as a child growing up, we, we, I was six years old when we started this, and you grow up, and you have your own idea of where you're going to be in mm. life, um, but then you see the hard work that your parents are putting into it, and there's a reason that they're doing it and you want to be a part of it. You want some of that action. And sure. um, for my sisters and I, we all growing up had different ideas. We had one who wanted to be a doctor, one who wanted to get in the fashion industry and myself with politics. Um, but we all quickly learned that like, no, like we want to be a part of this family business and see where it can go. Sure. Sure. Where does the name Mesera come from? Mesera is uh, an ancient uh, Persian word meaning uh, house of wine. Uh, 
Of course, during the Zoroastrian time, uh, wine was considered as a very sacred thing. And Maysara was the place that people would go not only to drink and enjoy a drink, but also seek wisdom from, uh, from the wine pour. In, in our culture, uh, we don't have a word actually for winemaker because it's believed that wine makes itself. But the person who pours the wine, uh, it was just like a shrink-like figure that people would go to and uh, ask for some, you know, advice and wisdom from, and then, you know, he, he would respond to them in poetry. And sometimes if you study your poetry, uh, it, it just like one verse has got so much meaning. So that, that was the place that they would go to. We have three words for uh, winery. Uh, one is Meikhane, Meikhade, and Meisero. But Meisero is the most, ancient name in, in Persian culture, yeah. So you bought the property here in the, in the 90s and you had land. So what were the challenges in starting a vineyard and then a winery for basically from scratch? Like I said, it, maybe it was uh, a good thing that I didn't know anything about the farming, but uh, we, we knew from the get-go we wanted to to make it, even before knowing anything about the farming, that I wanted to make this farm so it would be a complete ecosystem, having, you know, a closed circle of, you know, the, like, uh, everything working together. So it was really critical that we, uh, you know, water being a precious thing and Coming from where I come, water's always hasn't been mm -hmm. like in Oregon to have so much water. So mm -hmm. that was a very precious thing to me, and I wanted you know to bring life. So one of the things that's needed is having water, and uh, uh, I had lived in states of like Texas and Georgia before. In those places, it was very easy if you wanted to put a reservoir mm -hmm. here in the state of Oregon. It's just the uh, state government that owns the water, even in your own land. So we had to go through like 18 government agencies to get the permit for, you know, mm -hmm. putting the reservoirs. As you came in, you saw the small one, but we have a much larger one in the back of the property. And uh, so that was one essential thing to, to have uh, water accessible. And then we also, you know, the, some of the challenges was like to, uh, you know, some of us talk about that we want to create a good insect tree, but you have to have good source of food for them. Mm -hmm. And we've, in our farming, we've also needing to have compost. We've, you know, started from the very get-go, uh, having our own animals to produce manure and to make our own compost from it. Uh, so it, it's just like, 
it was a learning process that it wasn't easy, but uh, uh, having an engineering education, you always ask yourself why to do it this way. And uh, then, you know, talking to some other people and getting some advice from them, from some farmers and from some people that they knew about farming more than what we did so you know trying you know not to make any mistakes and uh, we've been kind of successful at that it's, it's always a huge risk when you go into an industry or something that you're not used to as your everyday norm mm -hmm. um, but again you know everything is I don't want to say the word calculated but it's very it goes back to, again, the whole ecosystem and things like that. I think that his biggest challenge was making sure that he could actually get all of that and make sure that he, he succeeds in it. Yeah, always when I want to do something, I try to uh, look at the worst case scenario. If that worst case scenario does make sense, then I would do it. Otherwise, I would just, you know, just hold back and, and do something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though there were a lot of challenges, but uh, I was very confident that we could pull this together. And, uh, you know, of course, then again, if you look at it, some, you know, as I said earlier, people thought of, I was crazy, you know, buying so much land. But uh, one of the advice is that, you know, I, I remember my father, giving to us as kids was uh, in your life uh, put a good portion of your belongings or your savings into the land and real estate. So I knew, you know, we did pretty good as far as purchasing this land. And uh, I also, you know, from the very get-go uh, was really careful to see what kind of, because of my engineering background, to see what kind of soil we have, how deep the soil is, what's the moisture content of the soil. and. Uh, we, you know, we did okay. We, uh, so we did our, you know, like taking a calculated risk <laughs> is very important. And uh, whatever you know, you know it, and other things that you don't, you know, you try to ask other people and seek some wisdom and spend some time learning about things. So it, it, it took a while, but, uh, you know, we, we, started planting. It's really important this kind of uh, farming. One, one reason that I bought so much land was uh, in order to have a complete ecosystem, you have to have the forest, you have to have the pastures and the meadows and uh, the reservoirs and everything besides having a good soil to grow grapes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're also very careful that we don't just have a mono agriculture because if you have something just like mono agriculture, uh, it would fail. You just need to have everything that's needed to have a complete ecosystem. So we've left, uh, you know, we've planted like about 260 acres out of uh, 532, but we've uh, uh, gotten rid of some of the scrub oaks and things like that, but left a really nice area to be forested. Uh, we have at least over 100 acres of forest, pastures, and, you know, the, as I said, uh, the reservoirs and meadows and all that. 
So you've kind of touched on this already, but I'm curious if you can articulate kind of your vineyard philosophy. I'm sorry, vine your, your vineyard philosophy. Like, how did you develop sort of what you, what your vineyard philosophy would be? Initially, we started uh, farming organically, and uh, in organic farming. Uh, it's mainly biological aspect of the farming that's taken into consideration. But the more I started like researching, I, I realized that there's uh, something that you know here in the Western world we call it biodynamic farming. And in biodynamic farming, not only we take into consideration the organic uh, aspect of it, but also the dynamic effects is really important. And uh, like planning and planting by calendar and uh, understanding the uh, effects of certain near and far planets and, and how it works mm -hmm. and to implement things during the time that's good for farming is really critical and important uh, besides you know those uh, biological aspects which we follow every one of them like cover cropping and companion plants integration of uh, animals into the farm mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know you have to have everything in check and balances if you have too many cows, uh, for example, and you don't produce enough food for them, that, that becomes a really bad challenge. So the balance is really important. And uh, even, you know, putting fish into the reservoirs, that, that really helps us out because like sometimes during the uh, uh, harvest time, a lot of, uh, migratory birds come in, but just because we have fish in, in the reservoirs, there's some uh, uh, ospreys that they've nested in our property and falcons, and those are the two birds that I know of that these migratory birds are afraid of. You know, there are people that they, uh, for each bird, for each falcon, they pay $500 a day, but we have it for free because of the fish that we have. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's just like this property, uh, uh, for many years, it was abandoned wheat farm because uh, a farmer who was farming this place, uh, his combine caught on fire and instead of driving it someplace safe, he drove it into the forest and uh, at about eight acres of the forest was burned. And initially the uh, state government had advised people to evacuate uh, the neighborhood, but then they realized that if they didn't contain it, it would just be all over. So what they did is just like they got a lot of helicopters and airplanes and they put the fire out so the we were really lucky that uh, previous owner for seven years after that fire the, he took that away from that farmer and nothing was done so we know during that 
seven years no chemicals was mm -hmm. used of course there was a lot of weeds and you know uh, plants that we didn't need them in here so we, we just got to work and we you know over a long period of time which took almost about two years we try to uh, work on the infrastructure as far as putting the roads and the fences and getting rid of uh, some of those plants and weeds, you know, uh, organically rather than just killing them. We turned the ground many, many times to get it ready to be uh, planted with vines. I think growing up with, with their mindset of my parents, it's always been you know, using things that are from within. Mm -hmm. And we always are told that, especially with like sick farms versus your own farm, and if you don't have to pull something from out, that your, your own area is providing all those nutrients and benefits to it. Um, so I think a huge part of our growing up and our philosophy has always been, use what mother nature provides you. Um, and be a steward of the land. Don't, you know, it might be easier and cheaper to go do things a different way, but it's the time that you put into something that in the long run is right. going to be so much more successful and um, better for your body and other people. And um, why, why poison, you know? Um, your your own self so you mentioned a little bit earlier that kind of when you started um, when you started looking at in the 70s versus now there's a, a very big difference in the shift in people's interest in sustainability and interest in paying more for better kinds of things so I'm curious um, what is the importance of sustainability within the wine industry specifically thankfully here in the state of Oregon uh, historically uh, People have been very conscientious about the environment because their life depended on it. And then we're also very lucky that everybody, not only within the wine industry, but in the other agricultural products, they, they compared to a lot of other uh, regions, we are a lot more conscientious as far as doing the right thing. Each of us, you know, has certain ability and uh, there are people that they do live, uh, you know, being certified by live or organic. We, uh, of course, in, in my old country, we never called it biodynamic farming. We called it natural farming, meaning you, you, whatever you take from the nature, you put it back into the nature. Because if you don't do so, you're, already as you know farming you're exploiting the land but it's really critical and important to not create any waste and whatever waste we have in a very fine way we put it you know we just make the compost we pile up things in our compost there's over 20 different things that we put in and uh, not only that but there are certain plants uh, that they have uh, so 
sulfur in a natural form. All the things that uh, we make preparation with, uh, all these plants, they not only they have certain nutrition, but they also have sulfur, which sulfur is a very noble thing, unlike what a lot of people think. If you gain that sulfur naturally, uh, it it's really helps helps you out. And uh, so we, uh, we collect these, uh, you know, we grow and collect all these medicinal and dynamic plants here at the farm and uh, we harvest them and then we also make tea out of them which the tea gets either uh, sprayed on certain days on the foliage, mm -hmm. or we inject that through the irrigation line. But then also the very same uh, plants, the dynamic and medicinal plants, uh, m most of them you you get an animal part that's got affinity with that uh, plant. And then, uh, as an example, most of them in uh, uh, fall equinox, you know, after, uh, in the summertime, you hang them outside away from uh, electromagnetic field out into the sun to absorb cosmic forces and then you bury that around like a, a fall equinox and then uh, you dig that out in spring equinox. It just by doing that uh, some sort of a fermentation happens between that uh, preparation the, that it, it just really enhances it and then you, you dig it out in uh, spring equinox and you just put some of them in your uh, compost pile and uh, uh, you know work with the compost because we do the uh, warm composting, which it takes about nine months. We're very, very careful that there's no pathogens in our uh, compost part. So we let it, you know, for, for a day or two to get to about 160 degree Fahrenheit. And then we monitor that. And if it's getting too hot, we add some water and turn the pile. And myself being an engineer, I don't want to accept anything I read or I'm told, so I want to experiment with things. So just like one year, we made the compost in just one part, so everything was the same. I just wanted to see the effect of the preparations, or, you know, just like a little bit of something that you put into the compost, does it really have that much effect? And uh, so we separated the two piles, and they both, both of them did okay. But the uh, the guy who was just turning the pile with the excavator, he called me and said, Mo, you need to come and see this thing. I was busy at the time. I said, well, just tell me or, you know, he said, no, you need to come and see it. So the, I was a little bit uh, the, aggravated, but, you know, I got into my car and just went there where he, when, you know, he was just like turning the pile. And I saw just in the... Uh, bucket of the excavator, the worms were just hanging down. It was just like a, a full body of worms together. So that's when I realized that the things that we do is really important. Another important thing, because, you know, over the years we've been uh, 
accused of you know practicing voodoo or witchcraft <laughs> and things like that so uh, it, you know it's just like we um, another challenge that we've had and you know we're over that right now is just like to prove to our employees that some of the things that they do does make sense so we've you know just in order to prove that we've gotten some of our own grapes and some of the grapes from uh, some of the other places and then had them to taste it to compare the flavor and you know and out of 26 people that they tried that 25 of them picked our grapes and, and that's one reason if you do the right thing you know we we get more money for our grapes than a lot of other places there are places that they grow grapes and they can't even sell any of it and they just give it away or you know tell people to come and pick it uh, but our, our grapes, because they go on a high high end wines normally, uh, we get better pay for it, either per ton or per uh, acre. I hope I answered your question. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I get off the he subject. Goes off. That, is the, that is the most involved answer about compost we've ever had. Right. So that's that's good. That's good. So to change topic a little bit, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but. Um, in terms of family roles in the winery, I'm kind of curious just sort of what it's like all working together as a family uh, in the winery. You know, it's not like, you know, the restaurant business when you have families all working together and they're in the, the same roles. Um, I think it works for our family because we all do have our own separate roles. But our family, and, and again, involving our Persian background, we are very involved in each other's lives. Um, it's, we're, we're a little bit too much, but um, it's something where when we are in need, we're always there for each other. But working together, it's you know how someone works. You've grown up with them, and you know how to approach a situation, you know how to kind of work together as a team um, and get results that you want. So it's nice working with family because you instantly know that like, yes, you can put your full trust in that person. Um, especially like, you know, why would, why would your own family members want to mess with an idea you have or a project or things like that? Um, not as if anyone here would do that, but it's something where we, we're always there for each other and um, it's nice having that separation because I personally have no desire to ever be in sales or to be a winemaker. Mm -hmm. um, I thrive where I am in our business but I know when a couple months ago I got into my car wreck I, an hour before a wedding, I completely flipped my car. I was a little out of commission that day. And instantly calling my sister, she was like, yeah, I'm there, was here within 20 minutes and took over my role so I could go. Mm -hmm. And it's something where it's, you can always count on that. It's not, you're oh, quite helping you owe, lab and yeah, and it's, it's not like you, you owe that person, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm gonna be there for my sister when sure. she needed a lab person and I, I pitched in. So it's something where um, we all help each other out. It's, it's really working for us. And uh, you know, I, I guess one reason is we're very 
close to each other. Mm -hmm. But uh, the only challenge that I see is just like sometimes uh, because you work together and you live kind of together yeah. and it's just like you... You go home with it. <laughs> right. As much as we try to separate that, but it's just sometimes... Uh, the. One conversation at dinner time, right. it'll be like one little input of something about work and then the rest of the <laughs> dinner is about work and you have to remind yourself, no, this is personal and time gender, yeah. Yeah, and not have to bring even those emotions home because, you know, when you're, you're working and you're living and being a family together, those are great challenges. But. As you said, I think, you know, each of them having a different role mm -hmm. and uh, uh, my wife taking care of the financial things, uh, Hannah, the hospitality and, you know, yes. in uh, events and tasting room, Nassim doing sales, both nationally, internationally, mm -hmm. Tamina doing the uh, wine making. And I'm very much involved, uh, not that I do, uh, you know, I, I, I do help in the farm, uh, but uh, it's more of a, the role of overseeing things, that things get done mm -hmm. correctly, because you have to really walk the vineyard and you have to see the need of the vineyard and all of that. Uh, so we all have, each of us have our own role, but then at the same time, we realize that when, when time is needed to jump in and help each other, that's, that's what we do. Yeah. You never turn on families back. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So why did you decide to make events a focus of the winery? And how do you balance sort of it, wine production and events? It actually kind of fell into our lap. Um, so this new building was actually supposed to be my horse arena. <laughs> Never got it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as we were building and we had decided this to become the new winery facility, um, there was a ton of couples actually coming here being like, can we rent your facility? And um, I think the first year I wasn't around, I was still at Linfield um, my last year. And um, we had another girl, she did I think four weddings that first year, but it was just kind of like, why not? We have, we weren't really using the building then because um, it was in progression being built. And then the year I came on, um, it just became really popular and more and more people started approaching us. and. Um, I've actually seen it as a really great marketing tool mm -hmm. because, you know, of my 30-some weddings, um, which mostly happens per summer, mm -hmm. um, I would say about 90% of them are from out of state. Mm. And wow. any time that you have people coming here, even if they are local or out of state, um, those are now all these new people who know of your winery. Um, you know, on average, if it's 150 to 200 people, it's 150 to 200 people who've yeah. now tasted your wine. Mm -hmm. And I remember learning at um, Linfield, I was a business major, that a lot of times that we buy things, um, it's based on an emotion, a, a name, a brand, and things like that. And a lot of times with weddings, it's such happy emotions. <laughs> it, it brings that tie to it. So when they see your your wine on the list of their restaurant or their the bottle on the shelf of their grocery store, they're, they remember of that moment and they're more likely mm -hmm. to pick that bottle up. Sure. Um, so it's been a really great tool for us. And then 
Um, we actually got Best Venues in America three years in a row by Rides Magazine. So it brought national exposure, not only just to our winery being events for weddings, but for corporate events. And now you have corporate clients and people who are really interested in the understanding of your winery, your philosophy, the whole biodynamics, and it all ties together and it speaks more to them than just a wedding day. Yeah, everything you said I agree with, you know, just like uh, at the time that we decided to build this building, uh, as Hannah said, uh, initially because uh, construction business had really took a dive and I wanted to keep our guys busy so this was to be a uh, horse arena for them. We thought you know the economy is going to be bad maybe for a few months so we asked our guys to come in they didn't have any work to do at the other facility and uh, most of them had been you know working for me for many many years and everything over we, 30 years yeah we asked them they would jump in so it was uh, for me it was nearly impossible to let them go so I did talk to them I said I really don't have anything for you guys but do you guys want to get your hand dirty and come in and put this building together of course the economy that the, the slowdown in the economy took several years so we had to kind of provide work for them and I normally would like to have everything scheduled design and you know just going through the whole circle of doing things the right way this kind of happened spontaneously and we kept adding to it and adding to it and that's when we decided okay maybe just in order to get some more income we add this but the most important thing for me was uh, that you know to carry the philosophy of our farming and also our winemaking that everything has to come from within uh, carry that in our building as well mm -hmm. but at no point of time did I think that other people would be interested in it and uh, so uh, we just started cutting you know like the the wood we have a saw just cutting the wood and processing the wood and you know like, like all the stone that you see mm -hmm. in a building has come from uh, the property and some you know as an example we took apart uh, about 1100 uh, wine barrels and uh, which uh, most of it was donated would have gone into the landfill sure. Um, we got yeah. donated by other wineries. Uh, we, we had uh, Quite a, few. a few hundred ourselves, but you know, other uh, winemakers, and some of them we didn't even know that well. But uh, when they realized what we were doing, uh, uh, they they donated some some uh, barrels. So we got those barrels straightened up, and then you know just processed them, planed them, and took the curve out and just used them on the inside. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's just like people became really fascinated by this building 
to come and see. It's not a fancy building by any means, but everything has come from our own place. So people really respect that, mm -hmm. and they want to. Uh, she uh, has so many requests that people, you know, in, in the summertime, if she wanted to do uh, events almost every day, we could have one. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, just like during harvest, a lot of people want to, to have events in there. So it's become... I know a, all that. <laughs> yeah, it's become a destination for people and and when they come in and see what we've done using our own you know workers to do this thing it might have a little bit of defect here and there uh, but overall it just people respect that and and as Hannah said it brings a lot of uh, customer to us it does and it's going to what I was just saying but the whole look of it you know you sometimes forget because you see something every day but I always it's so it's it's kind of like this magical moment when a couple first walks in and you see their expression because you've kind of forgotten how everything looks mm -hmm. and it becomes the same, but when they look at it, it's a, a new pair of eyes and they're just so amazed with the barrel stave walls, the cobblestone flooring and walls and the big beam pillars, uh, wood pillars and, um, and even my dad's trusses, like what he's what he's known for his business, and um, it reminds you of like, wow, we actually built something really cool here. <laughs> that like, someone wants to spend their like that their special day mm -hmm. um, here. So, and and Hannah is really I have to give her the credit that. Uh, of course, it's important to all of our family because that's one, as an example for the wedding, it's one day that's so important mm -hmm. for people, you know, just like that they're getting married. So she really goes out of her way to do things beyond the expectation to help them out. So every wedding that we've had, it just, they they become really good friends I with become, her. There's so many that it's just like, they become a sister and a brother to you. <laughs> um, I become so emotional when I like, cause they, they're now married. I'm with them for almost two years. Sure. And so you grow with them. And now you're like, wait, is this, is this it? Like, this is, this is not the end of our relationship, right? And so a lot of them, I, I still text daily. So it's nice. And they'll, they'll even send me when they're now pregnant and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of the first people they tell because <laughs> we're so close now. And you build these relationships that you've never thought you could build with someone because of being a part of their wedding, sure. so, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, again, changing topics a little bit, um, what your experience has been as an immigrant and a minority mm -hmm. in the wine industry? We actually made a wine called Immigrant. <laughs> and, and that was as, uh, after the election. You know, just like, I love this country. Uh, it's been good to us. Yeah, very good to it, us. it's just like you know the, uh, the the laws of this country uh, has been something that they accept you and you're equal. Mm -hmm. You don't get that any other place in the world. It's just America, and we 
we really haven't had any issues at all. It's just people, you know, of course, it's how you represent yourself. Mm -hmm. the, even during the part times that, you know, there was just like between the two governments has been a lot of problems. Nobody's given us any hard time. I remember during like, uh, as an example, 9-11, uh, so many people called in, they were concerned about their safety, <laughs> but, you know, just like and me, we yeah, really didn't have any problem whatsoever. I so think one thing we always need to remember is that we live in such a great community, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be raised in this amazing town where everyone knows us, and they, uh, growing up, man, my parents would get phone calls being like, do you know who your daughter's hanging out with? <laughs> and it's like, they were all like parents, everyone watching out for us. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is with our community in the wine industry and even our community here in McMinnville, um, and of course all over, um, people have never given us this kind of look like, oh, because you are of a different background, you don't get these opportunities. I think the only thing that stops people is their own drive and their own will. Mm -hmm. And we've been very fortunate enough to actually use a lot of what my parents' upbringing and how they taught us as like growing up that nothing should be able to stop you. No one can tell you you can't do something. And so, especially when, you know, not to get political, but um, after the elections, we, as a family, we felt as if we need to stand up for people who feel like they don't have a voice now. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we created the Immigrant Pinot Noir. Um, so the percentage, 33% of the uh, sale will go to immigration services. Um, and we, we picked for a, people in yeah, India. and we, we picked a really great organization that for years has been pretty um, notable about how where the money is going to mm -hmm. and it's not just going to you know admin and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. It's going to the attorney fees, it's going to the transition, to the, the um, housing, the counseling and all these different things and that was very important to us but we wanted to, to be the voice um, for those people because we feel as if if, if we meet where I mean, who's going to help us? And we feel like so many people would. So it's it was our way of giving back. But I honestly, I never even was growing up, I never even got bothered for being Persian or anything like that. I was never, I was never bullied, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's something where I feel like when it comes to wine industry or community, again, like I said, it's, it's yourself who stops you, not other people. If that answers yeah, it. We, we, we've, we've taught our kids that uh, you're not better than anybody and you're not worse than anybody. Mm -hmm. So they've conducted themselves pretty yeah. good. And as Hannah said, we're just so fortunate where we live. People here in Oregon are so polite, mm -hmm. so friendly. Of course, anywhere else, even when we lived in the South, of the United States, we were just really always well treated. Mm -hmm. So we haven't had any issues at all whatsoever. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. So what are you proudest of from your time in the wine industry? I I'm sorry. What are you proudest what, of? What are you proudest of? 
proud? Pr proudest of from the, from your time in the wine industry. What are you the proudest of oh. the wine industry? <laughs> you know, it's it's a community. Uh, it's it's just not like some of the other places. Uh, a few months ago, uh, Hannah had gone to California and just going to different wineries and realized that the, the bakeries and you know the one against the other here in Oregon and I hope it stays like this everybody helps each other out I, I remember when Jimmy passed away so many people wanted to help without even knowing us mm -hmm. so it's a sense of community and and then I also think that we started something that, that one of the proudest thing for me is just like uh, the way that we have farmed and, and hopefully other people would learn from it that uh, there are other alternatives to farming, mm -hmm. that it could take care of all of us. Because, you know, we've seen if, and if we don't take care of things the right way, it, it just could be really a lot of devastation. So it's just like I'm hoping uh, people would notice what we have done and, and then try to farm the right way that, you know, we don't create problems, we solve problems. You know, I, I, I recall a quote from uh, Winston Churchill that he said uh, you could always bet that Americans would do the very right thing after they exhausted all the other options. So I hope we don't exhaust the other options. And and I've seen in the 70s, you know, when the, there was just like a, a certain uh, sprays being used that it was thinning the ozone layer or you know with the uh, tobacco and things like that I've seen the changes so I'm really hopeful that we also start taking care of our environments so if I have done anything right it's just like getting into this business to create things that people would notice to be worthy of consumption and, and uh, working in their favor as far as health issues. I think for me, like the proudest thing, like just the Oregon wine industry, is the sense of respect. Um, you know, we, it's that community, it's not the competition. And just like Dan was saying a little bit earlier, like I went to California and it was, it was great. Even some people were like, not wanting to give me Pinot Noirs because when they found out I was from Oregon, they're like, no, you guys are known for your, your Pinots, which was very shocking to hear. Um, but, it's this great respect that everyone in this industry has for each other. Um, Mo, you're also on the Linfield Board of Trustees, mm -hmm. and so I'd like to talk a little bit about your experience uh, on the board and sort of um, some of the accomplishments that you're proudest of there. Well, Linfield is such a great institution, and uh, we're just so lucky in a small town like McMinnville to have such a great institution that it's well known not only in in the United States but also worldwide and uh, but so I, I'm really thrilled to be a part of it uh, I wish I could do a lot more for Linfield than what I've 
done, but uh, we've, we've actually have made some wine uh, for Linfield uh, under Linfield's name. And uh, I'm hoping that we could expand that and not only for ourselves, but uh, Linfield has done so much for the wine industry. Uh, and and for the community, it's just really great to see the students going and helping with different aspects of the things that needs to be done in the community, and then for IPNC. So hopefully, as an industry, we could also uh, try to help Linfield because it's it's just in a very small little town, having you know that wine program, and now it's just really essential to have the uh, science building put together you know this is the uh, school that before even Oregon was formed it was in existence so it, it's just really we need to cherish that and and to try to kind of like uh, help it out and get it to to be even better because a lot of uh, private schools including Linfield. I'm not saying, you know, they have problem, but they're just like things that we could do to help Linfield out. And uh, I, I hope as a community we could, we could do that. But I've been a, a trustee of Linfield since 2002, and hopefully after I get too old, then my kids would uh, carry the torch to help. He loves Linfield so much, he sent all three daughters. <laughs> Right, right. That's one of the way to help us out. We do appreciate that. So, what makes uh, Linfield unique? What is it? What about it that you like so much? But it, it's you know when you talk to students, uh, small classes, and and then the staff and the professors caring so much. Mm -hmm. It's just like uh, my my professor. I, well, I have a story. So I um, was a business major, and I dabbled in my economics because you have to take some courses. And I didn't think I was even going to like economics, but um, I actually had Professor Shuck. Mm -hmm. And first day, comes in, you're kind of scared of him. Um, he's a lieutenant. And after that, like, you just, he's the most amazing professor at Linfield where he makes you feel comfortable to go to his office hours. And he helps you with your tests and things like that where you actually are wanting to learn. He's giving you that respect where you're like, okay, if he respects me so much, like I'm gonna go to class, like, and I'm gonna like <laughs> actually try to get a good grade in this class. And he had actually um, my one of my courses with him. He actually got called off to duty, <laughs> and it was midway, but he still skyped us. He still continued teaching us. Wow. Um, and I actually had emailed him one time. He, he, um, he saved you yeah, from the scam. Someone yeah. um, I. There was a similar story to his, and this guy was selling a car. I even went and gone looked at it, things like that. But I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna email him see if like this is a real guy. And he like actually looked into this guy, found out it was like some 80 some year old man that he stole the identity of, and like things like that. And so he he actually really helped me on more of like the personal level of not getting scammed into right, buying a, a fake car. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something where it's like, 
things like that I would tell dad, the stories. Right. I, I went to University of Texas at Arlington and sometimes our classes would have 200, 250 students. So that intimacy wasn't there that you could go ask questions. It's happened not only to my kids, but uh, a lot of other students, if they don't show up to the class, then you know the professor is at your door and finding out what you're doing. So it's just like really great school and uh, the, the being in liberal arts, it's, it's over the uh, years have educated so many people and have changed so many people's lives. Uh, I, I read a book uh, that was written with a student, you know, from actually Linfield that uh, he passed away many years ago that in, in that book it is called Wooden Sidewalk. And in that book, you know, it talks about the uh, city of McMinnville mainly, but then uh, just like during the war, so many during the Second World War, uh, uh, people not only in the Air Force and the Army, but then a lot of people that they got really high position jobs. And uh, a lot of those people, you know, after they make some money and uh, become wealthy, they've in return have uh, helped uh, Linfold. As an example, uh, TJ Day, I, I remember you know, the first uh, trustee meeting that uh, I was with him. He was telling me that when he was a student, how much trouble he made for the school and that, uh, you know, he, of course, he was uh, going to school elsewhere, but they, uh, his parents that had gone to uh, school at Linfield, they finally, uh, after him getting a lot of uh, really bad grades, they moved him to uh, Linfield, and he became later on a very, very successful mm -hmm. uh, businessman, and, and then even, you know, it was so critical that some of the professors really changed his life, so he gave so much back to the school. So it's just like the sense of community and uh, what it's done, you know, as I said, for the wine industry, it's, uh, for the community, it's just really that close relationship goes along long ways. Mm -hmm. So that's why I respect it and like it so much. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the kind of the science building we're working on and the, and the wine minor, then hopefully major. So I'm curious sort of what your thoughts are on the kind of wine education uh, program and what you hope it will look like. You know, the wine education is really great thing because they're looking at the certain courses that other places they're not taught. Uh, it's not so much like just winemaking. The wine industry has a lot of other needs. And uh, Linfield is really looking to those areas to be able to help and educate students, which the industry needs. But the science building is not just only wine related. Sure. It's gonna be in physics, it's gonna be in the, the other uh, fields of uh, science. And as a matter of fact, one, one thing that if I could help Linfield, because Linfield's got a lot of uh, uh, 
At one point of time, they had the observatory, uh, which the building is still there. Hopefully, you know, we could just expand and and put a new building. I, I, I do understand it couldn't be done in the city right now because it's so much polluted by light. But it, there, there are a lot of things that we need to look at to see what areas we could not only help the students, but then, you know, just like uh, kind of creating things. And I just recently been talking uh, to certain people, uh, Linfield, that each of us as an industry, we could, you know, help in certain way. I, as an example, I have a lot of Oregon-wide oak that I'm, I'm willing to donate that to Linfield. So we need to look outside of the box and, and then try to however we could help Linfield to achieve that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that you know, as a as a group, as an industry, we all could pitch in and and help this institution that has help our kids and you know the community uh, and what's great to that is also they're they're getting people who not only within the wine industry background but with like Greg um, who's now I think like in in charge of the wine program yeah, director of wine. yeah. and um, we actually did a tour conference with him last year right. and it was great because it's this Congress that happens from all around the world, people from all countries, um, and he came, like they came here for the background of the terroir and all of that, and so it's something where bringing other parts of, you know, being a farmer to a winemaker and things like that um, to light instead of just the the big picture of making wine. Um, and that's really, really great that they're bringing people like Greg in because they have such a great knowledge and then they have such great contacts mm -hmm. with other people around the world yeah. that can give us some light of knowledge that they've learned and that they've, um, you know, have tested and things like that. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago that uh, uh, the French didn't consider Americans as knowledgeable about wine and would criticize it. But then last year in that conference that it was, I think if I'm not mistaken, about 135 scientists from, from abroad that for the first time they came to the United States. So we gave them a tour of, uh, you know, different things that we did. And uh, uh, when we finally, after the tour came back and had dinner, it's just uh, the, one of the winemakers from France got up and that you know he was talking about how much he's learned and this is terroir and so that you know the answering to your previous uh, or earlier question that was a really great moment for me to see that you know somebody from there is just really appreciating what we have done and uh, it's just, you know, and they're getting people like Greg Jones that he's known worldwide as far as climate change and, you know, the issues with climate. So it, it's, we, we all need to help 
financially or any other way that we can to just be able not only to bring good students to Linfield, but then people like him, and there are many, many people, it's just like that's one person. Mm -hmm. Overall, Linfield has got such a great staff and professors that it's just been really essential for all our lives. Yeah. So what does the future of Linfield look like and, and what do you hope it looks like? You know, of course, right now there are challenges, and the challenges are not only for Linfield, it's just for higher education. Uh, there's a lot of things that we need to figure out, but then we also need to make it clear to the students that they're getting the benefit of being educated in Linfield mm -hmm. to try to to help and I understand you know initially when you start working you don't have the resources and all that but it, it's in in my old country, uh, there were certain things that uh, not only from previous time they've been done right, but it, we uh, we have so much respect in our culture for people that they educate us, mm -hmm. and and so it, it, some of the challenges could you know is financial. Some of the other challenges is like having the right building and everybody right now especially in uh, private institutions are, are facing a lot of problems and uh, you know as an example one of the things that students could do for example because Linfield needs to have more students to help with the tuition and the, the uh, things is just like the, the number of students have diminished but like if the students as an example promote Linfield to their friends mm -hmm. so there are more students that they could come to Linfield uh, it, it's just it's not uh, feasible to have only you know the, all these good professors and not having enough students so that's one of the challenges that we have but uh, I think one of my hopes though for Linfield is for them to have the same kind of opportunities like a huge state school with the many departments um, I remember my senior year there within just the business department, there was sports marketing going in. Mm -hmm. um, and so little divisions being built from there, but just how they're building this wine program, I hope that there's other programs that they haven't gotten into that they're able to, um, and they have the resources for it. Yeah. Speaking of futures, uh, what does the future of Mesera look like? Yeah, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really am very optimistic uh, because not only we grow the grapes in the right way, but we also do not manipulate the wine. We, we do not use enzyme or commercial yeast or adjusting acidity or capitalization. So it's just like more and more people are finding out. and. Uh, it, it's just really critical that the whole community, we help each other out. It's, it's just, you know, you could produce the best wine, but if people don't know about it, 
uh, it becomes a problem. Uh, so just like the consumers, the farmers, the winemakers, the restauranters, we all need to start looking and learning and understanding what's needed. So I, I think we're doing the right things. Uh, with the kids getting involved, they're still pretty young and I'm really so proud of them. But I think they could do much better job than you know, us, the parents, and I'm sure that they will do that because, you know, there's for me, still after many years of living in the United States, the language barrier, the things that, you know, I think of maybe sometimes I'd look for, for the right word, uh, but they don't have that problem. So I'm, I'm really confident and we've already seen, even though in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of wineries added and people are having issues with sales and all that we're doing much much better and and uh, it's it's got to be noticeable for more and more people so I'm, I'm really seeing a bright future you know there are challenges there are challenges like uh, climate change and global warming uh, but I don't think those are going to affect our generation maybe next few generations because like I said it's just at the time that we started uh, people were saying this is too of a, a colder climate for uh, growing Pinot Noir so I don't think the challenge of the uh, climate change or global warming is going to be that severe next couple of hundred years. But uh, with changing our way of doing things, uh, hopefully we could all uh, live in a better environment. Uh, and so I, I honestly see a bright future uh, for us. I see such a, I see certain people like the Ponzi's and the Bergstrom's and other people who have taken on their their parents' industries. And I have such a great respect for them um, because they've been able to continue what their families initially had started. Um, like we had Dick Ponzi over a couple months ago for dinner and hearing his stories of mm -hmm. just him beginning and things like that. It's it's kind of this like magical moment mm -hmm. because you're like, wow, you're you know, you're in the presence of people who you know, helped really get that Oregon wine name established. And then you see your own parents and how they've really also have started to get into that. And you you start to think, and my sisters and I have always had conversations about how we can't wait to have our kids see us in that light and see our parents in that light. And um, even so for those other people, um, so I think for us girls, it's really going to be maintaining what May Sarah is about, um, who us as Montazi family is about, and really implementing that in our everyday lives. Um, I think sometimes you, you tend to forget um, because something could be easier or mm -hmm. you can do it another time. Um, but I think for us, it's really, I think the future is 
very promising because we have such huge role models, not just in our parents, but other people in this industry that it gives you such great hope of where you can be. So, yeah. So you spoke a little bit earlier about um, the respect in the mm -hmm. industry. Uh, and I'm curious, as the industry has changed so much in the last say, 10, 15 years, yeah. and, and looking at where it's going down the road, um, what do you see in the next 15, 20 years in Oregon wine industry? Do you see that staying? I see it definitely blowing up, kind of like how California has. You know, we constantly have people always say, Oregon is like the old Napa, <laughs> you know, where it was still family-run businesses, smaller businesses. Um, actually with like people like Kendall Jackson coming in I love it I love the idea because they see gold where you are mm -hmm. and I see other people wanting a piece of this um, so it's something where I definitely see where we are now with double or triple the amount of wineries and mm -hmm. things like that um, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's ever going to really affect those because everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own reason of why. And people will come towards you because they have that connection with it. Um, I just see it growing a lot more, but... Um, you know, there might be a little bit more competition, mm -hmm. but uh, it's just Oregon it's such a not only Oregon being such a great place but the pioneers yes. they set certain standards standards yeah. yeah certain standards that it's just like that's what's encouraging so many other people to come in and uh, I, I also am very optimistic that uh, it, it wouldn't have an adverse effect because, you know, even the new people, when they see how it's been done in the past and how a sense of community and sense of helping each other, it's, it's just they have to step up the ladder and, and just like to try to be the same. So uh, I also think some of these bigger companies coming in, uh, it, it would really, with the power that they have as far as marketing and other things, uh, not only we all could learn from it, but it would put Oregon in a map that mm -hmm. so, so many other places would want to follow. I have, you know, we participated in uh, OPC for many years and every market that I've gone to uh, like seeing the sommeliers or wine buyers or restaurateurs they just that was one of the best experiences that they've had and every single one of them you talk to they say what we learned as far as you guys working together and and we had to we had to work together as a industry because uh, compared to California, huge wineries with huge resources, we're all very, very small compared to some of the other uh, regions in the world that they grow grapes and, you know, make wine. So it, it's, I, th I think it's going to continue, to be honest with you. But at the same time, it's going to constantly have existing wineries step up their game you know it's keeping yourself in check 
of okay what has what has worked what hasn't worked why hasn't it worked and just figuring those things out um, I, growing up we were always told if you're gonna come up with if you're gonna come to us with a problem first come with a solution before you present that problem and so it's something where it's gonna constantly I think keep people in check of what they're doing wrong what they're doing right and mm -hmm. how they can grow from there so. yeah. So what advice would you have for someone who wanted to enter the wine industry? Either of you, both of you? You really have to... Uh, Dabble into it first. <laughs> it, it, you know, of course, most of the people that come to the industry, they've uh, made their money and resources mm -hmm. in another business. But it's really critical that uh, you do your research and understand things and and analyze things uh, before you really jump into it uh, it's that's just something that I've learned that uh, uh, and, and cooperating it's, it's just so critical it, we when we got into this thing uh, I learned that people were you know within the industry kind of like thinking well, uh, because of the things that we were doing that was so different, betting how quickly we're going to go out of business. And that really made me, instead of taking it in a negative way, I thought, okay, well, why are they saying that? And I, I realized, for example, you know, like we, uh, at the time when we started, uh, there was problem with phylloxera. So we wanted to plant uh, grafted mm -hmm. uh, plants and you had to pay the money in advance, three years in advance, and, and three years later to get your uh, your vines. So we decided to go ahead and, you know, like Put 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 you know, several uh, uh, greenhouses and started grafting it, and uh, we we actually in 1999 uh, we grafted for 120 acres, and uh, we wanted to uh, plant that in the summer and people that's what you know people had the right to say this guy's crazy but then you know it, it's just when I heard those things I, I went to people I went to die Chris uh, that he did some consulting for us for a while. I said, Dai, why, you know, why can I not just plant the green plants? And he said, Mo, it's hot. You don't have the water. You don't have the resources. We didn't have our reservoirs out there. And, and, and just like it gets too hot. But then you try to come up with mm -hmm. solutions for it. So what we did do was just like, uh, we had enough water that we would put just a little bit, we would dig the holes. And because we had turned the soil so many times, if you just drilled the holes being dry, everything would cave in. So we started, you know, just like before we drilled the hole to plant it a day or two before, we would just uh, put some water in there and then do the drilling. So the soil was moist and 
instead of planting it in the daytime in the heat, we just planted them three o'clock in the morning. And so we were able to you know, understand the different things that we needed to know. And we did that and 98% of our plants took off. So sometimes even criticism uh, from other people could really work in your favor because you learn not to make the mistakes. Uh, I'm gonna add to that. I think a lot of times though, people have this idea that the wine industry, restaurant industry, all these, it's a luxury. Mm -hmm. It's this luxury industry and they all want to be in it. They want to have fancy dinners and just drink wine all day. But the thing is, you know, you have to be willing to get your hands dirty. You have to, you know, put the time into it. And I think a lot of times, and I will say a lot of my generation actually has to do with this, where if something doesn't go our way, we're ready, on, we're ready for the next thing. Or, you know, if you don't get the pay you want, or you don't get the um, recognition of what you, want, what you thought you were going to get, you move on from it and you want the next big opportunity. But I think that you need to put a little bit more time into it because you're in the long run gonna get that that worth um and it's something where you know a lot of people always think you know even my own friends where they're like don't worry like you're already taken care of it's like no actually like no if you think of the wine industry you're putting money into next year's vintage mm -hmm. it's an investment it's in a way like your art piece you know you you get to have it, but it's not like you are making millions and millions of dollars. You're investing for next year, and I think a lot of people think it's an industry to make money. Yeah, unlike what a lot of people think it's a romantic yeah. thing, it's a very hard work, and it you is. have to be really dedicated to put not only money, but a lot of hard work and patience and, and trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. We have friends who, you know, they started uh, their own wine businesses, very small production, and they're working three jobs. And because they want to see their their baby survive, you know, and it's it's worth doing that though for them. Mm -hmm. So it's something where learning the difference between, okay, do I want to do this because I want the luxury of it, or do I want to do this because I'm really, and I hate using the word passionate, but <laughs> that you actually have the, like that, passion for it. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like passion is such an overused term in right. every industry, um, but it's it's that part of you that you're not going to ever look back mm -hmm. and say, Ugh, I should have done this. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like I think we, for us, you know, we fell into it, but for him, you know, he's still an engineer. He still practices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, you have to actually, you know, use all the resources that you have uh, to try to bring everything together. You just can't rely on one thing. Yeah. It's a very classic engineer answer. So I advise <laughs> a, lot, a lot of engineers in the industry. Yeah. All the questions I have prepared. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention? Anything else I should have asked that I didn't? I think you've covered a lot of things. It's just like the only thing that I, I also hope that we do as an industry is to try to 
uh, really learn things from our ancestors. Uh, wine in, in our old country, it dates back to almost 7,500 years, documented things. And sometimes, you know, as a uh, community or the wine industry, we consider our uh, forefathers and ancestors that, that they were dumb uh, and they didn't know things but it's it's really amazing that how much knowledge that they had mm -hmm. not only as far as you know the whole macrocosm which is really important uh, to follow that and to understand that but then also as far as winemaking uh, we were both of us reading, I showed her this article about this winemaking mm -hmm. vessel that uh, they found and you know, they, they dated back to- 5000 BC. Yeah, 5000 to 5500 BC. And um, they, they, they were lucky that they found some uh, wine residual in there that they did the DNA on it. And then later on, they found out it was a Zinfandel that was planted. But then also, you know, they found tartaric acid, and then uh, they found that the, uh, the the way that they were aging that uh, it was uh, uh, turbinate, turbinate, uh, the bark of a turbinate tree, <laughs> because that's got sulfur in a natural form. And so, you know, all of the different cultures, uh, which unfortunately a lot of things over the years got destroyed and burned, things like that, but we, we need to also work, because it's not only a work of you know, like one winery. It's got to be a community work and people trying to relearn things that our ancestors knew. We, we ourselves actually, uh, several years ago, we uh, uh, used like yarrow flour as far as, you know, just like, because yarrow has got a lot of, uh, not, I, I don't want to say a lot of sulfur, but the sulfur that gets absorbed uh, by grapes and, you know, by wine, much better than adding other stuff into it. So we, we need to learn some of those that uh, uh, we knew as a society a long time ago and to do some research and soul searching to see how things were done uh, before. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews. Over